Blog Talk Radio. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. You've just landed in the Sin Bin with your hosts, Paul Rogers. You went to Princeton and we're all Eastern, weren't you, Ned? That's what it said in the yearbook, Jim. Uh-huh. And Otto Rogers. You <laughs> want a life? See ya. Yeah. All right, let's show them what we got, guys. Okay. All right, yeah. Get out there on the ice and let them know you're there. Uh, my All right, this is Paul Rogers, and welcome to a special edition of the Seattle Sin Bin. And tonight is going to be a little different. Um, we are doing a special episode called Hard Questions. And on the show tonight, we're going to have uh, Sonics Rising founder Brian Robinson. We're going to have NHL to Seattle founder John Barr. And we're going to have Robert Cardona of the Uptown Alliance. And these three guys all have one thing in common. Um, they are uh, they are members of the Key Arena Advisory Committee. Um, and so there's been a lot of news break in the last few days. Uh, some of it really exciting, some of it really disturbing. Um, and that is that. Um, so tonight um, we're we're going to be talking about hard questions. Um, at sonicsrising.com, there was an article called Hard Questions where uh, some of our readers asked some questions, and I'm going to uh, select some of those questions to ask the panel tonight. Um, and I'm also going to ask some of my own questions tonight, and I'm going to let them ask each other some hard questions tonight, and it'll just be interesting to see where this goes. And so it looks like... Uh, our guests have arrived. Brian, are you there? Maybe I need to make their microphones live. Okay. Uh, Brian, are you there? I am here. You are there. Uh, you John doing? Barr, are you there? I'm doing good. I am here. Can you hear me? John Barr, I can hear you. And Mr. Right. Robert Cardona? Good afternoon, Paul. How are you doing? Uh, doing Robert, great. This is the first time we've this is the first time we've talked. Did I did I pronounce your name right? Uh, yes, yes, you did. Thank you very much. Okay. So <clears throat> these three guests. I mean, uh, all of our listeners know Brian Robinson very well. He's the founder of Sonics Rising. Um, John Barr has been a frequent guest on our program before. Uh, he's the founder of NHL to Seattle, and Robert is uh, a member of Uptown Alliance, which has had a lot to say about the arena process over the years. And so, uh, you know, there's been a lot that's happened lately, and uh, we decided that we wanted to get together and just ask each other some hard questions. And so before, I mean, when we decided this, uh, that was before some major news broke this week. And that like news was... Ago, doesn't it? It does. It does. And so the big news this week, there's two things. And uh, one is the mayor's office uh, came to an agreement with OVG 
uh, on a negotiated MOU, and there's quite a few changes uh, that were made to it from the time we heard about the, the initial proposal. And then they go to have the press conference to announce this officially, and some news breaks. Uh, Mayor Murray has had yet another accuser uh, come forward and accuse him of molestation. Uh, press conference is canceled. Later in the day, Mayor Murray resigns. I think that was official as of today. And so I guess the first hard question to ask you guys is what impact does this have on the process? What's going the, the thing that happened with Mayor Murray this week? Brian, I'll start. Brian, with you. you want to start? Yeah, I'll, sure, I'll start. <laughs> um, you know, obviously, it's always hard for a city when this kind of scandal hits its mayor's office and, and their victims and the circumstances are, are terrible. Uh, outside of that and just focusing on our one issue, uh, this is a little bit of a game changer. Just just in terms of the makeup of the council, we're going to see one council member elevated from the council to the mayor's office on an interim basis. Uh, it's either going to be Bruce Harrell uh, or, or Tim Burgess with, with Lorena Gonzalez, maybe having an outside chance on that. And if it's Bruce or Tim, you know, that's one yes vote that goes away from Soto and one yes assumed yes vote that goes away from OVG. So it, it makes the math harder in council. And then the other thing that happens is that the new mayor, who's going to be elected uh, in early November, is expected to be um, elevated into the position as soon as the election is certified rather than waiting out the end of the year, which means that this deal that, that, went, that was put forward by Mayor Murray's office that was expected to be negotiated with council and then re-signed by the same uh, mayor's office is now potentially going to have a brand new mayor to evaluate it. And what we don't know is if that will um, in any way uh, cause that individual, uh, either Carrie Moon or Jenny Durkin, to want to, to slow things down again and, and, and stop them and maybe relook at them. We don't know if it's going to become a big uh, election day issue. So it definitely changed the landscape a, a bit or, or a lot, but I don't know that it changed the odds. Uh, the, the key arena proposal has a lot of momentum right now. And it seems to have uh, things going for it for, for a long time now. There's been a desire to separate the plan from, from the mayor himself. And I think that uh, certainly everyone involved hopes that this passes to council and becomes council's baby because um, it, it needs to disassociate itself with, with the, the mayor who initially put it forward. Right. Guys? Robert, how about you? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll go ahead, Robert. <clears throat> Well, I'll say that I, I believe Brian um, summed, summed that up pretty, you know, accurately based on the information that we know right now and, you know, the, the processes um, for the city and the council and, you know, who moves up and who – anyway, yeah, I think, I, I think Brian summed it up pretty well. Okay. Yeah, I, John? I just echo that same statement. I, I think uh, there's a lot of unknowns right now, uh, but, but Brian did an excellent summary of the situation. Okay. All right. So I'm going to move on to uh, some questions from from our readers, and a lot of them they, a lot of them ask the same questions. A lot of them ask questions that are really wordy, and I'm going to do my best to read them in such a way to ask the questions, but in such a way that it makes sense on the radio. Um, so I'm going to start with one by Jason, and this is one of my favorites because we've run into it over and over and over again for the last several months. 
are you guys being paid by OVG? And he qualifies, I don't mean that as an insult or as an accusation, just legitimately curious. So how about it, guys? No. 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 Not under the payroll of OVG. I, mean, okay. I think this, there's, a, there's a broader question there about our role, though. Uh, okay. there, there's been a, a lot of question. We, we were nominated to this committee. We were put up there, uh, Robert, I think, in his role at Uptown, but also people know that he, he's the uh, site operator for, for the Facebook uh, Seattle Arena Forum. And, and we were there ostensibly to, to um, in some ways, represent the fans. We've all been big supporters of the Soto plan for a long time, but we're never paid by Soto in any way. And now we're, we're supporters of both plans because we've got viable things. At least, at least I could say I am. Uh, but, but this concept that somehow we had to be on the take or there had to be some game changer or there had to be some, you know, jumping off one team to jump on the other. Uh, at the end of the day, I just want a basketball team back and a hockey team. And I, I'm just, we're all just trying to do our best, I think, with, with somewhat limited information, but, but sometimes, uh, you know, a little more than is out there, to just try to do the right thing. So I think the question, it's easy to answer, no, I'm not getting paid by OBG, but, but what am I trying to do? I'm just trying to help, help bring a basketball team back. And I, I helped Chris, and I would help him again, and I'm helping OBG, and, and I'm helping anyone who wants to bring the NBA to Seattle. Okay. Well, let me follow up with a question then. Um, so if you're not being paid, um, certainly, it, I mean, it's undeniable that there was uh, that there's been a shift in the last several months. You, I think all three of you went from being hardcore Soto supporters uh, to now being, to varying degrees, uh, key arena supporters or supporters of both. Um, maybe the three of you could spend some time saying what shifted in your position, what is your position right now, and how did you come about? How did you come to that position, John? I'll start with you. Uh, thanks, Paul. Um, well, um, most people know that I've been attending city city council hall meetings and and public rallies and all this stuff that um, and advocating for the street vacation down in Soto. Um, and uh, you know, I've been definitely like following the basketball team's lead and looking at you guys and seeing what, what's going on and trying to help out any way I can. Um, and, you know, I've been a supporter from, for Soto for a while. Um, what changed for me was I think the street vacation, right? The, the no vote. And, you know, I, you know, I get beat up about this all the time, but I don't think anything's materially changed since that street vacation. And so I'm not anticipating a different outcome. It's not that I don't support it. I just don't think it's got much of a chance until it kind of addresses some of the major issues that uh, caused it to not get passed. And I don't, I don't, you know, I could be wrong. Like I, and I don't care about being right. That is not my goal here. I, I care about getting a hockey team and getting a hockey team means getting an arena first. Um, I do care about the Sonics. There's absolutely no truth that I don't care about the Sonics, right? I see the passion probably more than any hockey fan from the, the Sonics fans, and, and I love it. And I can't remotely compete with that, right, because we don't have a team. Um, and I don't 
intend to ever compete or replace. I just want to be supportive. And I know the biggest thing we need is an arena. Like that is priority one to get either an NHL team or an NBA team. And it has to be. And I, and I never thought I'd be advocating for key arena, right? Four years ago, never thought it, but I'm, I'm telling you when I saw that RFP come back and, and the size that they're, they're making uh, size improvements to the arena, it can work and it will work for both, for both, both leagues. And, and I know both, both leagues are in communications with city of Seattle, right. Um, and making sure this works. Cause I think Adam Silver could end this conversation right away with a phone call saying key arena won't work for, for the Sonics. And that's that I would be okay with that decision. If that's what Adam Silver says, that's what he says. So I'm still looking for changes down in Soto. And that's, that's kind of where my, sorry to be so long winded, but it's where my, my position changed. I'm still supportive. I'm still keeping an eye on it. I just, I just think it's trying to be realistic with fans. And until I see change, I don't give it much of a shot. Okay. Robert, how did you come to the, how did you shift? Um, I wouldn't say that I shift. So, you know, what I will say, like, like everyone else in the community, I've been, and, and first let me, you know, preface this. Um, what I'm about to say right now is, is an individual um, response. It, it, it's in no way representative of, of the Uptown Alliance. I'm just speaking as, as an individual fan at, for, for the moment. Um, I've always been a supporter of the Soda Arena. I've, you know, I've attended all the rallies. I've attended, you know, numerous public hearings and council meetings, um, you know, done the uh, public comments and written comments. So, you know, I've always been all in on Soto. And even even up to about a year ago when we first started to get rumblings of, you know, an RFP process for Key Arena, I was extremely skeptical. Um, and it wasn't until I learned about the interested parties, you know, once we learned that AEG was interested and once we learned that Oakview Group was interested, that's when um, – I started to do a little research on both of those firms, and I think my attitudes towards the key um, started to evolve from that point because I'd seen the projects that uh, those groups have delivered over the course over the course of years, and and you know I have, I have confidence that they'll be able to deliver a world class arena to Seattle. Okay, uh, Brian, you are probably the biggest puzzle here because. Um, you're the one of the three of you. You're the one that has um, uh, a bit of a relationship personally with Chris Hansen, um, and so people are just flabbergasted that you seem to have shifted away from Hansen. So, um, what's your perspective on this? How did how did things change for you? I uh, you know I hope you have some time uh, <laughs> to talk about that <laughs> one. Uh, for for one thing. Uh, very slowly and, and very hard. Uh, I don't take any joy in this. Uh, I, I never thought it would happen. I mean, I, I thought I was going to be the last guy still standing. And I thought that if, if I ever wavered, um, there would be ways to, to, you know, to bring me back. But um, two things really changed for me. Um, the first was, as John said, the street vacation vote. There was an expectation on that street vacation vote of how it was going to come out. And um, 
we had previously lobbied much harder with council than we did on that one. And we're kind of specifically told not to bother. Don't bother. Don't bother. We got five votes. So no, just, just keep it quiet. Let it, let it go. And, and we sat out and, and we're quiet and kind of did as we were told. And in that process, I had a lot of my friends, you know, I, I ran the arena solution coalition and I was involved with Sonicsgate and I was involved in save our Sonics. And in addition to the, to the readers at Sonics rising, I mean, I, I've got a lot of people who are involved in this on a lot of levels, pull a lot of, um, a lot of people who are involved in politics and a lot of friends who, who've just been very passionate and who come every time I've called them and, and guys like John Barr, who every time we have needed people to speak, we have called them and they have shown up. And every time we have needed help, we've gone to them and without asking for anything they've delivered. And one by one over the last four years, these guys have been asking me what's going on over there. What's, what's going on. And I've just religiously, Chris knows what he's doing. Chris knows what he's doing. Trust me, just stay on. It's going to work out. It's going to work out. And the street vacation vote, two things happen. One is, you know, the realization set in that it might not work out. And that when all these people are asking me this, that I, I'm being dishonest with them. If I say that I have confidence that it'll work out. And, and then the second thing is I realized that people can get hurt that, you know, I had to put a, an apology for the actions of others on the front page of the Seattle times and go and talk to my 13 year old daughter about misogyny and the fact that dad was accused of, of being a part of this. And I had to go back and meet with just about every council member and, and talk to them and deal with all the, the crap that we put up with. Um, and so going forward, it became very clear to me that it was going to be hard when my friends called and said, should I participate in this? It was going to be really hard for me to say, yes, you should. So I, I started a dialogue um, with Roland Fatland, who is Chris's chief of staff. And I uh, started a dialogue with Wally Walker, who I, I value and, and just think the world of. And I expressed some of my concerns, and I told him that, that I really thought that if we were going to move forward from this, that there needed to be some changes. And, um, and I guess we just didn't see eye to eye. So it wasn't that I – Chris made very clear to me he has the right to, to run his own campaign. And I respect that. He gets to choose what he wants to do. But I also have to choose, you know, whether I'm comfortable participating in it. And what I felt was that they were going to run out of options. And that if they didn't get, get started changing, then the only options were going to be to come take the nuclear option and, and, and start throwing rocks and trying to blow it all up. So that was one, one moment, just kind of the realization that it, it lacked viability and it lacked protection and it wasn't something that I could, could wholeheartedly participate in or vouch for the way I had before. Uh, and then the other thing was the, the, um, the emergence of Tim Laiwiki. And, and I, um, I've known who Tim Laiwiki was for a long time. We made our Arena Solution presentation. I, I am not lying. We drafted it for presentation. The thought was we wanted to do something that could be suitable for, for Steve Ballmer or Tim Laiwiki. He was the number one choice of a guy who can get this done. And he's been, he's been around the periphery for a long time. And once they came public, and once I, I learned more about the NHL opportunity, which I probably knew a little bit more about than most people at an earlier point, and once I learned about some of their other plans and talked to them about what they were thinking of doing for the NBA, uh, you know, I became convinced that as much as I love being a part of the group, with Sonic's Gate and with Sonic's Rising, I want someone who can get it done. I, I want someone who brings the weight 
to get this done. And so I, I really came to believe and, and, and believe at the moment, but I'm still open-minded uh, that, that he's the guy with the relationships with the league who can get it done. And I, I've heard that from a number of people affiliated with the league. The first time I, I, I really heard that, that this had a potential happen, it was 2014. Tim Laiwiki is a guy who can bring the Sonics back. And um, it's been reaffirmed in a lot of ways, down a lot of channels. And so I, I believe that. And I get that other people don't believe it, but, but that's where I'm at right now. And, and if it's not the case, I'll, I'll have to live with that. But, but those things kind of, um, they just got me. The other thing I would say is they called, they, they hired Lance Lopes, who is, uh, who is a quality guy who had a relationship with me. And I, I hope that somehow the relationship with the basketball fans mattered. And Brian Surratt uh, got involved. And Brian Surratt's a guy I've known for a while and, and really believed in. And he very, very early on invited participation amongst a lot of the fan groups. He invited John and I and, and Robert and Sonicsgate to come in and talk about it, even when, when it wasn't very popular. A bunch of our friends. So we also felt pretty included with Brian Surratt, that he was a guy that we could work with. Those are, those are kind of my reasons. But, again, um, I would love to find a reason to get back with Soto and I'd love to to be able to tell people with a clear conscience that it's viable um, and if it gets that way I'll eat tons of crow like John said no desire to be right here I actually you know it'd be kind of fun to be wrong but uh, <laughs> I gotta call it like I see it you know <laughs> okay so um, so I'm gonna ask kind of a, a question that seems to be I'm not gonna uh, credit one of the readers for it because it's kind of a universal question that everyone well not everyone but a lot of people just ask over and over and over again um, if if we want to put both options forward to where they can get as far as they can go um, why not push harder for street vacation at Soto um, the, the thought of the reader seems to be that um, it's not too late to save Soto. Um, if we can get street vacation, we have a better, I mean, with both proposals based, essentially approved, best of both worlds. So why not uh, go in full campaign mode for street vacation anymore? Uh, I'll start it off. Um, in my opinion, nothing's changed. Right, no, nothing materially has changed down there, um, and so I'm not sure why it would go to a vote again. Now that that's my opinion, and and I know he's made some concessions there, but I don't know if it, that is significant enough. I really don't think it is. But um, you know, I've gotten plenty of discussions about it, but I just don't think anything's changed. Okay, Robert. Well, I guess the issue is that because, you know, SDOT hasn't submitted a recommendation package to council, um, there's nothing for council to, to act on. You know, working in government my, myself, I understand when, you know, when you don't have something, you, you can't work on nothing. Okay. I'll just I'll just add to that. You know, I know a lot of fans are going to say, but everything's changed. He's doing it all private, and, and they're – got a renovation for key arena in place and the the hard thing is is that as much as people say oh process I mean, people have been using the word dressing it up or wrapping it up to describe the process but 
but the reality is there is a process. And, you know, if they wanted to have that debate, they just needed to get that process rolling a year ago uh, because, because a, a letter saying we will go all private is not the same as a formal proposal to go all private. That proposal um, has to be prepared and presented to council, and, and there is a process of earning buy-in, not, not just from opponents, but from you know, friendly council members like Bruce Harrell, who's been a big, big proponent of this, weren't even aware of this key arena renovation concept when it just dropped suddenly on their desk. And so in, in absence of that kind of preparation, as much as people don't want to hear it, there's no real way to, to advance the Soto proposal without delaying the key proposal. And that's where I feel like we're at it. And, it, and if we delay the key proposal, we likely lose the opportunity uh, because I think that the, the NHL opportunity is ripe here. NHL has held the expansion deadline was like two years ago for expansion applications. And they have held it and held it and held it and held it. And they are frustrated as heck that they want to make it happen. And if we get it happen, if we make it happen now, uh, it, it's done. But if we don't, I, I worry that we would lose it. And if we lose it, then we're starting from scratch. Then we've got a new mayor, a new council, reviewing two new plans. Oakview might not have any incentive to do it anymore if they don't have the NHL. They might not want the deal. And, and the timing really uh, becomes a big problem. So, so my big issue is I think that there should be a campaign for the Soto Street vacation, but it should probably be after they finish this deal. And at that point, I don't know that it matters. But, but, but timing is the big issue to me because I just don't see any way – given what has happened, and I think Chris has to take ownership of what happened and, and his team, that they can advance one without stalling the other. Okay. So, Brian, and, and I got the end. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, Brian, this is John. You made me think uh, something I've been wondering about. And, you know, it is possible that that arena still gets, uh, in Soto, still gets built down the road, right, while – maybe Key Arena or the, the site formerly known as Key Arena um, is um, maybe it's more traditional hockey and, and maybe some concerts, but then Hanson could in theory still build down there, right? Down the road, if it makes sense. Correct. I mean, it, that's it a good play. Be, isn't it, it? If, if, the economic model is really tough, but, but what I have been told very specifically is that he is going to play a long game and he's more patient than the rest of us and he's more committed than the rest of us. And that if an MOU is signed, he will still be there with his property prepared to act. If an arena is built, but without any professional sports franchise, he will still be there with his property ready to try to secure the NBA and NHL. And if an, an, an arena is, is built and it's NHL, it's got an NHL franchise, but is not suitable for the NBA. It, it, if it takes 20 years, he's still going to be there. And um, that's what I was told. It, it, it eased my mind about making the decision. I think that um, if Chris's only role is to be there until the Sonics come back, we're really lucky to have him as a backstop. Um, and if not, he'll, he'll make a ton of money uh, on the property. But I, I, um, technically, I was really happy. I know people kind of poo-pooed upon it, but not to see an exclusion uh, clause in the MOU. I think that was a big deal because – what Chris told me he would do, he's contractually still allowed to do, and, and I'm I'm happy about that. I think yeah, I think that makes sense too. I'm 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 
you know, I was kind of excited in the same way you were like that. It wasn't just kind of locking. So if there is any, you know, there's speculation on, Oh, they're going to lock the NBA out. And that's simply not the case, but that should alleviate some of those concerns, right? Cause then they could just build and put the NBA team there when it's, when it, when the time's right. And they could probably, that- they could probably use uh, Seattle, Seattle center arena as a, as a temporary facility as they're getting that, that building up. I think conceive I think conceivably they could, it's hard to imagine everybody coming together like that, but you know, the possibility yeah. is there. Yeah. Um, I, I, to, to me, Oakview group seems exceptionally confident that they have relationships with the NHL, which they've, they've pretty clearly demonstrated uh, again, some ways that are public and other ways that, that, the public is not aware of, they've demonstrated their relationships there. And then also with the NBA, um, the NBA is not going to allow an NBA team to go into a building or to an ownership group they don't approve of. And so when, when I've talked to the Oakview group about this, what I've said is, look, if you really think the NBA is going to pick you, then what do you have to lose? Don't put an exclusion and let, let Hanson build his building and you guys can go out and compete for owners. And so I don't know if it was intentional. I don't know what the, what the reasoning was, but eventually they did that. And, and I, I, it was a small thing, but it's, you know, Soto's got to be happy for, for the small things right now because they're, they're behind. All right. Another reader question. Kay Smith, 1984, asks, what is being done to ensure this very expensive project doesn't push out the NBA by virtue of being the fourth party to the project behind the city, OVG, and the NHL, is there enough dollars to split this four ways? And if so, how is OVG ensuring this that this will happen? So Robert, I you want to take that one? Look, go ahead, Joe. Go ahead, Robert, if you want to go. Okay, I'll take it. Um, so I I look at <laughs> kind of the current current arenas in the. Um, league, right? The two tenant uh, arenas. And what OEG is planning on doing is having a joint operating group, right? And that would be the NHL owner and the NBA owner and OVG themselves. And I looked at kind of who has that model. And of the 11, 11 arenas that are dual, um, like dual winter sports, or I should say more than two because Staples is in there. Uh, like, let's see, Seven of them, of the 11, seven of them have this kind of joint operator agreement that, um, that is being proposed at Seattle Center. Um, three of them are kind of where the NBA is actually renters, um, and that's the new one in Detroit, uh, TD Garden in Boston, and then um, Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia. And so there's no real precedent to say that the economics don't work because it's all, it, it works for, you know, seven out of the 11. And if you want to count uh, where NBA is just a renter, three of the 11. So the only different, the only odd one is Barclays, which is um, where the Islanders are trying to get out of their agreement there. And that's where it's owned by an NBA um, owner, the, the arena, but it's operated by AEG live. So, it, it, it's kind of an anomaly, but that's that's kind of the landscape. And so there's really no precedent to say that the economics won't work. 
So I, I, I kind of, I, I've heard that question a lot. So that's why I kind of researched it and I saw it in the, in the forum. So that's why I have all the data prepared because I wasn't sure, right. I didn't know if it worked, but there's plenty of examples in both leagues um, that, that show that it can work. It does work. Robert, I'm guessing John? you've researched this. This is John. So, oh. Yeah, no, I know, John, you were talking, I know Robert, but I, I, I was trying to pass oh, the mic to okay, Robert okay. there. Cause I okay, think he's, sorry. I, I believe this is one, and I think we're all going to want to address this one, but Robert? Yeah, yeah I've, I've done some several research similar to John, and I identified several of those arenas where you have co-tenants or, or even co-ownership. I believe the one in Chicago is owned equally by the Bulls and the Blackhawks. So, you know, I'll just say that these people are smart enough to find a model that will work more for all parties involved. Okay. Uh, so, so I, I have, uh, I have thought about this one a lot and I think that this question kind of illustrates some of the difference between the two transactions. Um, and, and there's a bunch of them. There's two very different approaches to accomplish the same thing. An NBA franchise is going to cost $2 billion now, 2 billion with a B. It was 500 million. It, uh, the building is going to cost 600 million it was going to be 400 million, maybe 350 with, with public subsidy five years ago. So the economics have, have just really uh, very dramatically changed. And ultimately the hardest part of this is attracting an owner willing to pay those big bucks. There's about 10 people in the country who are able to do it, maybe 15. And, and both these groups are out there with their economic model, wooing the same 15 guys and saying, this is what I have to offer. What Hanson has to offer is, is a great location with a beautiful design building. Um, and his building, the, the potential uh, whale, what we've called him, I, I always think that's a little bit of a derogatory term, but, but for lack of a better word, um, would be able to come in and have complete control to all the revenue streams. And they'd have to find a way to, to make Hanson and, and Wally and, and Balmer whole for, for their investment in the building, probably share a portion of the franchise there. But for the most part, they've got a blank slate. They can make design changes to the building if they want. They can manage the construction if they want. They can tweak things, and they can open the revenue and control 100% or open the building and control 100% of the revenues. Um, and, and that is the attraction for them is the ability to control 100% of the revenues. In the, in the OVG model, um, OVG builds the building. There are other partners brought in, such as an NHL deal, they get a share of the revenue, and we know that. Uh, but what you get there is there, there's less risk because in, in Chris's proposal, the ownership group pays the cost overruns, but, but that's unlikely to be Hanson. That's going to be a, a new developer. Someone, the person who comes in to buy the team is going to be doing it. The guy who gets to custom choose his arena also has to pay the cost increases for any customization or the overruns and, and takes the risk. What, what Oakview offers is that they are super experienced at that. And as developers, they're going to be able to bring a lot of value in keeping those construction costs down, in developing a, a product that has tons and tons of experience. And then in terms of operating, um, where Chris has got kind of a, a, an adjacent real estate development model where a lot of the, a lot of the uh, big dollars come from developing adjacent real estate, the Oakview model has dollars coming from, from sponsorship and branding opportunities, from corporate alliances, from a partnership with Live Nation, 
And so at the end of the day, the question is whether one of these wealthy individuals wants to come and partner with Wally and Chris and run the whole show themselves and keep everything uh, other than what goes to that partnership, or whether someone thinks that the Oakview Group is going to grow a bigger pie. And so, yeah, you might be splitting uh, 15% of your revenue to Oakview and 20% of your revenue to, to the NHL. It's not going to be a third, a third, a third. The NBA is a bigger fish. Everybody knows that. There's going to be equity in the building set aside for NBA ownership. Tim Laiwiki is going to share in that NBA ownership. In all likelihood, Bonderman, the NHL owner, is going to share in that. So they're all going to be kind of mutually invested in the project. project. But someone could come in. The construction costs are managed. If Oakview brings value there, the construction costs are driven down. The operation is managed. If Oakview brings value, then your operational revenue is higher. If, if you have the NHL and the NBA, they're, they're sponsorship and partners. So I believe, the reason I believe that it can work is because that team of, of Laiwiki and Azoff are going to be able, they are branding geniuses. They are going to come into this market and they're going to want to get the NBA so they control it. And they're going to take all the global corporate brands this market. And they're going to take all the, the, um, the uh, partnerships. And they're going to build revenue off that. And I think that's going to be an attractive partnership for a future NBA owner. I think that people want to partner with Tim Laiwiki because he makes a lot of money. I have a similar question from Silvio. And he asks, is there at least a feeling amongst the decision makers that the NBA would actually be willing to go to Key Arena? And I'll just paraphrase the rest of the question. He's basically concerned about the size of the venue. So would the size of the venue uh, prevent the NBA from wanting to come? Who wants to take that one? I got the numbers if you guys want me to. I mean, it's, it's a 20, at this Before. point, it's a 20,000-square-foot difference. So I don't think the size is even an issue anymore. It's whether Key Arena, with, with its layout, its traffic, and its history, and being a remodel, the size, it's, it's down to 20,000 square feet. That, that's essentially equal. Uh, I think that the NBA, uh, communication with the NBA, in my understanding, between the city, between uh, the county, between others – is, um, has increased since Tim Laiwiki became involved. He's a former NBA Board of Governors member who has a lot of relationships. And um, everything I've heard through my uh, much less uh, reliable sources, but everything I, I hear is that the conversation with the leagues are, are productive. And I think that we would know if, the, if it wasn't an option. So, so I think that, that uh, we have every reason to believe that if, uh, if it wasn't working for the NBA, that they'd let someone know somewhere. How about the other guys? So this is Robert. Robert. So yeah, yeah. Again, getting getting back to the arena size, um, a lot of people like to quote like it'll be the that smallest or second smallest. I think people, if you if you look at it not through a ranking system but just as a peer group, I think you'll find that the Oakview proposal, um, as of right now, because it still has to go through the design commission, so you know it can it's going to evolve over the course of a year. But there are, are many arenas that are comparably sized, especially new ones. In fact, it's, it's about the same size as the uh, Little Caesars Arena in Detroit, and that's opening this fall. So there are a lot of new arenas coming onto the market that are of equal or comparable size to the specs design um, proposed by the Oakview Group. So 
when it comes to the size, I'm not concerned about where it falls in, in an order of 1 through 30 or 32. I just want to also say that I, I try not to be a hypocrite in these things. Like I try to at least be as consistent as I can be. And when we were advocating for Soto 12 years ago or five years ago in 2012, uh, it was also criticized for its size. It was going to be the smallest venue. And it was also criticized for traffic. And it was also criticized for some of the same things this one has been. And at that, at that time, I was making the argument that Robert made right now. And I was doing it in defense of Soto. And so I've had trouble uh, wrapping my head around the fact that I, was, that I spent several years uh, poo-pooing that and saying it's no big deal, it's no big deal. And now all of a sudden, because it's the other guys, uh, we're expected to make it a big deal. And so – I'm trying to be consistent here and, and size and traffic are two things that were brought up pretty heavily for Soto. And in, and in both cases, we, we said those are issues that can be dealt with and the size is, it seems to be consistent with the new buildings being built. I have to, I have to just trust what I'm being told that, that the league um, is liking these smaller venues, like, like was built in Sacramento, like Detroit. Um, but I, I'm trying to be consistent because we didn't, we, actively dismissed these same arguments when they were made about Soto several years ago by Soto's opponents. Okay. Uh, John, did you have anything? Um, uh, Similar things that, um, you know, I go to a lot of arenas around the nation to check out hockey games. And uh, one of my favorites is TD TD garden in Boston. Um, And it's a, unbelievable place to check out a game. I'm sure the basketball experience is just as good, if not better. Check it out. If it's not, if you haven't done it, put it on your list. Um, but that is almost identical in size to Key Arena as far as a capacity standpoint. So I don't think, I don't think that's necessarily, uh, it, it, I don't think it really impacts as long as you're kind of in the acceptable range. I think that's all the, the league needs. And both buildings are at the low, probably at the low end of the acceptable range, but they're double what Kiarina was before. Yeah, the square footage for sure. I was thinking just the capacity from a from a tenant standpoint. But square yeah, your footage is, is also a really big deal. It, it, square footage starts to impact the loading docks and the restaurant space and the the ancillary revenue. But but both buildings are within the same um, low end of the norm and where things seem to be trending range. Okay. And to put things into perspective, it's just about the same size as Little Caesars in Detroit, T-Mobile in Las Vegas, and so on. Yeah, and those are new. Those are the new ones. Yeah, those are yeah. new. Okay, I need to pick up the pace with the questions a little bit because I know John needs to go at least in 15 minutes. I don't know how long Brian and Robert have. But I think it's pronounced Zepe or Zepe. Uh, he asks a question, I guess this is specifically for Brian. Um, he says, you stated that Brian Surratt is, quote, a good dude and has, a, has the, quote, right intentions. Um, but he says, by his own department's statement and the mayor's statements about how this isn't, quote, how they do business in response to Hanson's key arena proposal, how is not anything, how is this not, but anything but locking into OVG. So he's asking if Brian Surratt's such a good yeah. dude, and if the uh, if they were being so transparent, how have the, how have the actions yeah. uh, not sure. shown that they're locked into OVG? So so 
regarding Brian Surratt, the, the way I met Brian Surratt, people may remember that Robert Cordona and I were both big Mike McGinn supporters. Uh, we fought and fought and fought for Mike, and we supported him through, and we lost. And at the end of it, uh, your candidate loses, and you have to find inroads and take some time to get to know the new administration who, who a couple of months ago were your opponents. So uh, over the first kind of year of that administration, I started looking around for for people that were friends of my friends or people that I knew or people that, that might have um, some relationship. And, and I ran into Brian Surratt, and he was good friends with a bunch of my friends. He was a former Seahawks employee. Uh, my buddies told me that, that he was a huge sports fan, that, that basketball was really important to. And so I asked him if he'd have lunch one day, and we got together. And we talked about uh, my desire to, to stay involved and make sure that Mayor Murray uh, was committed to supporting the Soto Arena. And uh, Brian and I got to know each other. His commitment to me was that if I was, was uh, honest to him, that I had a friend who, who cared about this and valued it. And we worked on a, a couple other things and, and chit-chatted a few times. And, and when I saw his, so when I saw his name on this, um, I called him up and, and we talked. And my belief on Brian Surratt is that he's a legitimate sports fan. He's exceptionally well-regarded. Um, and I think he wants to bring the Sonics back. I don't believe for a second that he doesn't. Um, people can question that, but I, I know uh, the man that I've seen, he, he's a heck of a leader. And let me tell you, this is, a, this is a hard process. Anybody who thinks either of these deals are guaranteed is denying history because it is so hard and the opposition comes up so much. But uh, Brian has been steady. He's had tremendous integrity. He reached out to all of our basketball fans. He reached out to the neighborhoods. And, and what's unfortunate is that he is working on – his office right now is working on the MOU with Kiarina. That's, that's their job. That's their mandate. The Soto proposal is over in city council waiting for a street vacation. And so I think Brian has been fair. I think he's doing his best to secure a deal. I think he, he shares worries like we all do that both deals could fall apart and we get left with nothing. But when people question his intentions, I really believe wholeheartedly that Brian Surratt is a great sports fan, a great who's held in really high regard around the city and his, um, and that he wants to be a guy who brings the Sonics back. And so uh, I just will stick with that. I know people don't like the actions of the department, but they have a job and their job right now is to evaluate this proposal. The other proposal is over in council and uh, that kind of is what it is. And, and there's a lot of is what it is in the situation we're dealing with that, that it, we wish something were different. I wish the schedule were different, but it's not. Um, I think Brian also knows that he's got a really good deal for the city here and he's fighting for it. So, so I, I, I like the guy, I support the guy. And I think that at the end of the day, Basketball fans are lucky to have someone in office who's, who's fighting to get a deal done. Okay. Since that was specifically for you, I'm going to move on to the next one. Um, this is a really great uh, handle. Styles McFly. That might be the, the catchiest handle that we have at Sonics Rising. Our, 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 new, favorite, our new favorite poster. <laughs> He's been active. Uh, yeah. So he's got kind of a two-part question here. Um, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna paraphrase it. Uh, why 
actually, I'll, I'll I'll ask it the way he asks it. I don't. He says I don't think anyone following this thinks anyone involved with the process on the city side has been shooting straight. Why do you think that is? So you can take that two different ways. Why do you think people don't think the city's shooting straight, or why hasn't the city been shooting straight? You guys can answer it however you want. Who wants to go first? This is Robert. Robert I'll start. Yeah. <laughs> so throughout this process, so last fall when, when we first heard rumblings that there was going to be an RFP on the arena, um, we at the Uptown Alliance immediately reached out to our contacts at the city, um, and we arranged a special meeting to host a panel, and that featured um, Councilmember Bagshaw, Director Nelms, Director Noble, Director Surratt, and I believe there was another individual on the panel, but I don't recall. And we had a, an emergency, well, we had an impromptu um, town hall meeting just to discuss the, the early beginnings of that process. And since that um, dialogue opened in October, they've been very forthright with us and, and more or less an open door policy um, with us here in the neighborhood. And, and I imagine with the other neighborhood and stakeholders. Um, so, as far as far as you know, my they've been very forthright with us. Close with that. Okay. John, how about you? Has the city been shooting straight? Well, you know, I mean, politics are politics. I mean, I I was still confused at the street vacation vote. Right, I felt that Hanson did everything he was asked to do. Um, and I'm still confused how that went, right, to be honest. Um, but, you know, they also might be – I don't think they can share every conversation they have with, say, a NBA or the NHL. Um, but I also think they need to not – it's also not healthy to negotiate in public, right? If you're trying to get a best deal for the city, you can't kind of reveal – you know, your, your, your bottom line, what your issue is or what your, what your, um, what your bottom price is or whatever. So there is a little bit of politics. I mean, this is a lot of politics actually, but um, I don't, I think they're, they're staying within the guidelines. I think they're trying to follow a process and they are following a process. Um, And, you know, that's, that's, I've learned a lot. And I'm sure a lot of the, the readers, listeners, have learned a lot following this. I mean, before this, I, I really didn't pay attention to city politics, right? And I've learned a heck of a lot. And, and I have a lot of, uh, you know, appreciation for what they do because they have to kind of like listen to everybody, but also look out for the city and the interests of the city. So I think they've been fine. And I think they, they, they've operated well within the guidelines. So in 2012, Brian, you, you, you done, John? Yes. Yeah, so in 2012, yeah, uh, I was working pretty closely with Steve Sarkozy, who was the city manager of Bellevue, on an arena plan over there. They had a, a scale model built up, and it, it felt like that was where things were going to go, and I prepared to go on that team. And unbeknownst to us, there was a guy buying up land in Soto and holding private talks with Mike McGinn about building an arena down there. And no one knew about it until it got broken out December 25th and the people in Bellevue were furious 
they were so mad. They felt like it was so underhanded and it was so behind thing, behind, you know, behind closed doors. But the reality was it was really good business. Chris Hansen did a great job assembling that land and, and doing it in a way that uh, was appropriately stealthy and, and, and was survived, but was within the rules. Uh, I look at things, and there have been elements of this that were really unfair to Hansen. The port's level of opposition was unfair, and I fought it. And um, the, the, the way the street vacation came, boat came down, I, I thought was directly tied to the port's level of opposition. But also at the end of the day, you know, you can't go to the NBA Finals and say it's just that LeBron James was so strong. You've got to win the game. And uh, the opportunity has been out there. And uh, some of the choices weren't the best choices. And I have not seen a conspiracy. I've seen people getting out politicked and people getting out businessed. And, and when you start talking about a conspiracy and corruption, you're starting to include a lot of people. You know, Robert Nellums has been a Sonic supporter forever. He supported the Renton Arena, even though that meant leaving Seattle Center. He supported the Seattle Center. I've known Robert for a decade. Robert is not part of a corrupt process, and I take offense at anyone who implies that he is. Uh, there, there are people in, in the mayor's office who've been around that whole time. I had friends uh, working on the AEG team. And so I think that, that um, it's been hard. It's been, it's been as fair as any $3 billion deal ever gets, is what I would say. And that, that probably isn't fair enough for most people, and it's probably hard, and it probably leaves some people out in the cold. But, but that's, um, that's what these deals are. And I didn't see anybody crossing any lines. And when people say that I'm part of a corrupt process and John's part of a corrupt process and Brian Surratt's part of a corrupt process and, you know, I, I just um, – I think at some point you have to look in the mirror and say if everybody's a part of the process, then maybe that's just the system. And um, it, it is what it is. But I haven't seen any signs of – I think if, if people are violating their contracts, then the lawyers should get involved. And if not, then it's just – a, a really hard played game. All right. Next question. This one comes from uh, Sonic Rising Emeritus Mike Baker. Uh, and he asks, what part of the Soto proposal was reviewed by the Key Arena Committee? Who wants to take that? Also, it's been brought up quite a bit. Yeah, none of it. I mean, none of it was reviewed by the committee because, again, that's not their effect. That's not their area of responsibility. Uh, Monty Anderson, who's with the Construction Trades Council, King County Labor Council, um, was a huge Soto supporter. I, I was uh, really happy to see him added to the committee because he's a because I wanted more Soto supporters on the committee, and he's brought it up. Um, it, it's gotten it's gotten brought up, but it it wasn't within the purview to review it. That's happening over at council. All right. You guys have anything to add to that? No. Uh, no. No. I'll take that as a no. All right. Um, I'm not sure if he pronounces his username Cortone or Court1, but he asks, why should OVG be granted control of Seattle Center if they can't produce an NBA investor now? Uh, one of the, so for context to that, one of our – uh, one of my common arguments is that the reason to go with Key Arena is because they have an NHL investor now. So Court One is asking a common question, why shouldn't the NBA 
why shouldn't OBG be forced to produce an MBA investor now? I guess start. Well, go ahead, Robert. Yeah, so I guess the question is, are people willing to sabotage a deal, you know, for the sake of order of succession? And I don't think that's a wise play. You know, you, you, you pursue the opportunities that are, that are available to you at the time. And if you pass one opportunity, there's a good risk that you're going to miss all the opportunities. So I'll pass the mic to John. Yeah, I mean, I think um, you need to, you know, similar to what Robert said, I, I think if you have somebody that builds an arena, that's the biggest roadblock in getting any team right now, either league, is we don't have an arena. And he's offering to build it. After he build it, you know, if I think it increases the odds of landing an, an NBA team exponentially if we build now versus waiting to get an NBA team. If a team becomes available a year or two from now for relocation or somehow the um, league wants to expand, we're going to have our story straight. We're not going to be like, oh, wait, we got to get this arena started. And so that's why I think the uh, Seattle Center opportunity presents uh, just that, is an is a opportunity to get the Sonics back because it will be built and ready if a team becomes available, that's, that's my kind of two cents is that that's the biggest blocker, right. Is getting an arena. So if he's going to build it by all means, build it. And as long as Adam Silver signs off, which he has, then I think we're good. Uh, yeah. I mean, clearly building the arena is the, it has been a major roadblock and, and you're, you're sacrificing the chance to guarantee one gets built for the hope that one gets built later, and it could be six or eight years. Um, I Neither group at this point has delivered the um, deep pockets NBA owner that they that needs to, to complete this $2 billion transaction. The, the person closest to that is, is Mr. Bonderman, who um, you know, is a minority owner of the Celtics, which is a really big deal and made an offer to purchase the Golden State Warriors just a few years ago. And my observations from the NBA are that the way you get into the NBA club is you pay your dues, and you pay your dues, and you help a few things get done, and eventually they, they find a home for you. So I think that uh, Mr. Bonderman is, is, the, uh, is right now the, the principal deal, the biggest guy in the deal is with the OVG side. Um, and, and you have a chance to get it done if – they don't take this deal. Even if, people always assume that there's an either or that if they don't take the key arena deal that they'll get Soto done, and there's a chance they get neither of them done that they that they pass on this because for whatever reason, and then don't move across and, and, and approve Soto. But if they do, you're still talking about you know somewhere between four and eight years before they even start a conversation about building that that arena. In the meantime, key arena sits; it gets older. It gets dumpier. Who knows what happens with the Hanson ownership group? Who knows what happens with team availability? So I just think uh, I think you take the sure thing. It, it's uh, bird in hand any day of the week, given how elusive this this target has been. All right. I'm going to paraphrase uh, Jackson's question. Um, we 
we talk about the need for Hanson to, to acquire an, an NHL ownership group, but would that would it make his task easier to acquire one if he had vacation? Of course. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I mean that's 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 the riddle, right? It's a it's this is a this is a five hundred million dollar transaction, just for the building, six hundred million dollars for the building, and two billion dollars for the team. So at some point, you have to be able to solve those problems. Uh, um, I think it would be easier. It'll be easier for OVG to get one when this MOU is formally approved. Uh, they they were able to deliver an NHL owner without even having an MOU submitted. But um, absolutely, it would help if they could get the street vacated. Um, and, and if I, I just wish that it happened and it didn't, but, um, but that's, that's ultimately their riddle to solve as their part in their role as managers of this $3 billion project. And, um, you know, you can't just keep pointing fingers. You got to get it done. So I think their inability to get that street vacation has impacted people's perception of their ability to get it done. And I think that resonates uh, maybe with some of the potential owners. Um, I don't know that, but it, it seems to be the case. Okay. Um, I think this is the last one of the reader questions I'm going to take in the interest of time. Uh, Fry Dave asks, any concern about David Bonderman? And he's and in the question he's referencing, uh, with all the misogyny stuff that happened in Seattle with sports fans last year, uh, David, Mr. Bonderman was forced to resign from Uber because of one misogynist comment he made during a meeting. So any concerns on your guys' part about David Bonderman? Well, well, I mean, Bonderman, I, 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 yeah, go ahead, Robert. Well, Bonderman swiftly uh, resigned his post. So, you know, he took responsibility for his actions. Yeah. And okay. I, I, I mean, I, I think he owned it, right? He took responsibility and, and, you know, it was insensitive and obviously, you know, he paid for it, right? And hopefully he learned from it. And he also shows a pretty good example, right, of owning it and what not to do. So, I mean, I don't really have any concerns. I mean, we all make mistakes, right? I don't think somebody should be, you know, cut off from society for making a mistake, but he owned it. I think we should all be concerned about about the fragility of of any of this. So by all accounts, David Bonderman is a really upstanding guy. He's on all kinds of boards. He donates uh, a lot of money to the University of Washington. He sits on the board of regents there um, and, and is a good person. And literally days after this comes out and his name gets announced, one slip of the tongue and all of a sudden – the deal's in jeopardy um, and two slips of the tongue and it could be over. And that doesn't mean that he's a bad guy or, or anything, but it shows how quickly you can have the option. And you think you got the NHL company and an investor and a building and, and poof, it's gone. Uh, to, to add to what those guys said, I, I do think uh, one of the things that, that uh, David Bonnerman did that, that made a difference is, is after those comments were made, he visited council and talked to him. And um, I think that that's important. Uh, you go there. Um, our, our council is pretty sensitive. Our city is pretty sensitive, and, and we can have a much broader talk about whether 
uh, people are too politically correct nowadays or, or whether people uh, are saying the wrong thing. But, but at some point, the, the people in our office are the ones we're dealing with. They're the ones that were elected by the city. And, um, and you have to go face them. And, and my understanding is that he, uh, he, a number of people who are close to council um, immediately launched a campaign uh, letting council know that this was an aberration and, and expressing support for, for Mr. Bonderman. And that he then afterwards went and actually spoke to them and, and took accountability for it. So I think he's I think he's earned his way back. Um, I think it's not an issue, but in general, uh, I think we should be careful about the fragility because anything could happen. We we just don't know what could happen. Any any person involved in this whole deal could get pulled over for a DUI tomorrow, and 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 the deal's over. And we just all have to accept that, which is why I get nervous about the longer term aspect of, of, um, of Soto right now, as opposed to having a contractual obligation in place and knowing the $600 million is going to get spent in December. Right. Okay. So I, I believe John might have to drop off at this point. John, is that correct? That's correct. I'm actually heading to the rink to, to go play some hockey. All right. Have fun. Uh, thanks My for hero, coming John. on with us, John. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks for a lot on. for hosting, and, and I do appreciate the questions. I thought the questions were fair, um, and I would love to do it again if if we have enough reason to do it. Um, I do I do honestly enjoy having dialogue about it, I and mean, people kind of see where I stand. But I I believe I've been consistent. I just uh, I appreciate the dialogue, right? Um, if we're not talking to each other, then then and we've got some other problems in the, in the world. So I, I open to having conversations. So I'd love to do this more often with the readers. All right. Okay. Thanks. Thanks guys. Um, so I don't know, uh, Robert and Brian, how much you guys time you guys have. There's a couple more questions we could tackle if you have time or we could just call the night. I'll leave it up to you guys. I have time. I'm happy to keep talking. I I was actually kind of uh, surprised that the questions on the blog were so uh, benign. I, I expected to hear much, uh, hear hear much, uh, some much uh, crazier stuff directed towards me. So I thought, good job on. <laughs> Careful, yeah. Brian. Yeah. Do, you, do you have Do you have more questions? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so not not from specific readers, but just some thematic questions that keep coming up. Um, I'm just going to say uh, Kansas City and Houston. How does that relate to Seattle? And uh, the inference, obviously, is that Kansas City, um, Tim Laywicki was intimately involved with building their arena with the promise of delivering NHL NBA and materialize and the uh, – the implication is that he never really tried and that therefore it won't happen in Seattle. And of course with Houston, now that NBA team has been sold or is in the process of being sold probably to an NHL friendly owner. So how do these cities relate to our, to our situation now? I really, I really wish John was here. <laughs> um, I guess I'll start with Kansas city. You know, we, we hear a lot about Kansas city. Um, I think a lot of people overlook or forget that Kansas City actually made a play for the Pittsburgh Penguins, and the city of Pittsburgh stepped up and, and saved their club. 
Otherwise, they would have had an NHL team um, several years ago. Um, and again, in 2015, no one from Kansas City applied for expansion. The, whatever their reasons may be, maybe they felt the price was too steep. Um, as far as Houston, you know, I think we're all well aware of the uh, Leslie Alexander condition, um, that as long as he owned a team, he more or less had a say whether or not if there was an NHL tenant at the Toyota Center. Um, I suppose the question now is, and I'll leave this to the lawyers, if, if, that, if that condition expires with his ownership um, or if it's, on the, if, if it's on the books through the end of the original lease term. And So anyway, I, I don't know the future of, of Houston. Um, it's certainly a threat. It's a competitor. Um, but we also know that there are other leagues and uh, other teams in the NHL that don't have long-term solutions uh, themselves, um, specifically Arizona Coyotes, possibly the Florida Panthers. Um, so, you know, those are all situations we should be monitoring up here um, to see what opportunities arise, be it expansion or relocation, right? I'm pretty familiar with the Kansas City uh, situation. We've actually been, been watching that way back since the Save Our Sonics Day and, and researching it, and I've spoken to people down there uh, a while ago. But, but uh, look, what we do is really hard. And right now, Chris Hansen, Wally Walker, me, Tim Laiwiki, Ray Bartizek, Victor Coleman, and a host of other people are all tied in our record for bringing the Sonics back. We are all at 0-0-0 as is Tim Laiwiki in Kansas City. Um, the difference between all of us is that Tim Laiwiki has uh, successfully managed franchises and moved people into buildings in other markets. I, I'm told that he literally saved the Denver Nuggets by building the Pepsi Center down there. So um, I look at that. That building, Kansas City, is a different market than Seattle. It doesn't have nearly the corporate sponsorship. It doesn't have the available ownership groups. They took a shot. The shot didn't work. Uh, the weird thing about that building is, is for a long time, it's been rumored as a uh, – it, it's always been rumored as, as one of the other markets, that if the NBA expands to Seattle, it, it, right now everybody says Vegas, but they used to say Kansas City. But the, they, they have booked some regional college basketball tournaments, and the building's doing well. And I think as a city government that they've decided that they don't want to cut the deal that is necessary to cut themselves um, out of things to bring the NBA uh, there. I think it's different in Seattle because you have so much more of a corporate presence. You have so much more cross-branding opportunities and you have so much more money. Um, so, so I get that he didn't have, that it didn't happen there, but that's like pointing out that time Ken Griffey Jr. struck out. You know, it doesn't, uh, if this were easy and everybody had a 100% record, uh, guys would be lined up to do it. I, I absolutely think there's a chance that they try and fail I absolutely think there's a chance Chris Hansen tries and fails. I think we, we've all, so far, the only thing everybody's done is try and fail. So I'm not going to look and say anybody who's tried and failed is excluded from the process. Um, it, it just, the argument doesn't make sense to me. Uh, as, as for Houston, um, I think, you know, we've been aware uh, that the, the gentleman who, who purchased or is in the process of purchasing the Rockets is interested in acquiring an NHL team. That's that's a new market. It's a market that has direct competition for the for uh, the Chinese audience. One of the one of the great strengths of Seattle as an NHL NBA market is that we are a gateway to Asia city, along with along with Los Angeles, Vancouver, San Francisco, uh, 
tons of Chinese audience come and flow through here. Uh, and, and that's a big sell for the NHL to take our trade with China and, and try to get a place there. But there is no market in the U.S. that on a sports basis has more ties to China than Houston because they had Yao Ming for so many years. And I was once in Beijing, China, watching the Rockets standing next to Yao Ming, and I can tell you it's powerful. So I think they're, I think they're real competition for an NHL team, and I think we've got to get our deal done because if not, I think that, that a team will go there under this new ownership, and they will become the, the new shining light of the NHL in China. And, and I, want, I want that to be my city. Right. Okay, unbelievably, we've been talking for over an hour now, and I'm just now getting to transportation in Lower Queen Anne. So everyone knows that, well, the common narrative is that transportation in Lower Queen Anne is a nightmare compared to Soto. Uh, we also know that in the MOU, uh, Tim Laiwiki has pledged $40 million to the transportation fund, but there, there's a concern out there that dollar, you know, there's no dollar amount that can fix it. So what do you guys think? Can the transportation parking situation uh, around Seattle Center be mitigated to the, to the point to where having an arena there is manageable? Well, I'll start Robert. as the neighborhood. Yeah. Um, so recently the Seattle Center um, did a parking study for the campus as well as uptown. And I forget the exact number off the top of my head, but they identified over 11,000 um, parking stalls on street and off street available. And that's just within the immediate neighborhood. Um, in addition to that, there are a number of transportation improvements that are going to be delivered um, between now and the time or between now and when the arena opens or soon afterward. Um, we're going to have ST2, which is going to connect Redmond, Bellevue, Mercer Island through the Seattle Tunnel and connecting all the way up to Linwood. And that's, that's scheduled to be delivered, I believe, by 2022 or so. Um, we, we have ST3 coming down the pike, and I know that's, that's a bit of a long-distance future, um, Sound Transit will do everything it can to to shave some time and deliver that sooner than 2035. But, you know, the issue with transportation is that when the Sonics were here back in 2007, 2008, it was a different time back then. Um, we didn't have much, we didn't have the rapid ride bus system in, in 2008, 2009. We didn't even have, we didn't even have the, the light rail going to the airport that was delivered in, I believe in 2009. Um, so there, there are transportation improvements in development and under design and will be delivered um, in the relatively near future. Now, in addition to all that, you know, Oakview group is going to go through the EIS process and, you know, identify additional transportation solutions, but, you know, we, we can't expect Oakview to solve all of our problems. And I just want to add that in addition to the $40 million, there, there will be other um, commitments from Oakview Group as identified in the EIS. So it's going to be far more than $40 million that they contribute to transportation in this area. Okay. Brian? You know, traffic everywhere in Seattle is bad. I think we all we all know that, and it's you talk about the narrative, and there, 
I know that the guys at Oakview would love to, to take the narrative away from transportation, and they would love to point out uh, something that I've observed, that the reality is westbound traffic on, on Mercer at 5 p.m. isn't that bad. Most people are going the other direction. At 5 p.m., 6 p.m., getting to the freeway is hard, and, and getting to Seattle Center currently is relatively easy. And from my perspective, coming from the north, it's way easier to get to Seattle Center going down through Ballard or going uh, along 99 than it is to, to get all the way through downtown going to Soto. But the problem is, is there's people coming from the south, from Tukwila or, or somewhere like that, that it's, that it's harder. They have to drive through the city to get up north. Um, I think that we can't be dismissive of people's concerns about traffic, but we also have to be really realistic and honest about where our city is going. Um, we are seeing a kind of growth that's, that's rarely been encountered in cities and, and we're, we're changing the way we operate. Um, the, the Tation system in Seattle in general is no longer geared or prioritizes the, the plumber with the two kids in Tukwila who wants to uh, go to a game uh, with his kids and drive in and drive in, in his car and park and then drive out. Uh, the system is getting geared towards forcing that person to find a commute hub and, and take a train in or take a bus in uh, or come in somehow that doesn't allow them to park. And the reason they're doing that is because we have all of this new residential density down in South Lake Union with Amazon. We have uh, big companies uh, continuing to see explosive, expansive growth um, in the downtown area. And, and Either one of the plans that are put forward, the, the, the simple kind of hard truth of it is that the transportation plan is going to be more geared towards getting people who work and, work and live downtown in to be a big part of the audience than it is towards getting people from the suburbs. I don't think that's unique to Key Arena. I think that's something that's happening here regionally. Um, and I think that it's going to be hard for some people to deal with. Um, but overall, uh, I don't think I don't think anyone anywhere in the city has a claim that traffic is going to be good around their building. Um, when I was again just kind of in the the hypocrisy era or area, spent a long time talking about Soto and talking about traffic down there and, and knowing that it's terrible for me to get down there and it's hard. It's got Mariners games and and such, and, and saying that that even though there were traffic problems. I believe that most traffic problems can be mitigated, and that's just kind of a cost of being in a big city. Anytime you get 40,000 people together, 20,000 people together, there's traffic. It's not a reason not to build things. And I said that about Soto. I'll continue to say it about Soto, but I also believe it applies to the key arena. We can't not build things because it's tough to get there. Our city's just gotten too big for that. That would preclude us from building anything. All right. So I, I think this is a good time to kind of wrap things up. Do you guys have anything that you want to end with tonight? Just whatever you want to say, Robert, I'll, I'll start with you. Sure. I just, you know, I always ask people just to keep an open mind. Um, as Brian alluded to, the, you know, these things are hard. And so, you know, I, I understand that people are disappointed that, you know, one project may not be um, coming to fruition in favor of another um, but, you know, just to keep an open mind about, you know, what may be delivered at, at the end. I probably got a little bit of a longer one. Uh, I talk a lot, but I, 
the one area that I, that we didn't cover that I wanted to talk about was the two philosophies, again, just kind of contrasting two different ways of going about the same thing of shovel ready versus steel in the ground. Uh, the Hansen proposal calls for getting a building shovel ready and the key arena project gets it built and gets steel in the ground. I think that as we're trying to figure this out, one bit of information, if either group is able to educate us on this, is what do the leagues really need to see? What are the league, if the league hears from the city of Seattle that Soto is shovel ready and fully permitted and has a street vacation, is that enough for them to trust that it's going to happen? Um, there were strong pitches made by AEG and Oakview Group that there is a level of distrust with the city of Seattle which I think most of our readers would share, and that there is virtually no way to convince people in New York that this is actually going to build until they see steel being put in the ground. And I think that um, the question of what the leagues need to see, whether it's steel in the ground or shovel ready, is a really important one, and, and we need these two groups to educate us on that. Um, the, the second thing I'll, I'll do is just, uh, again, kind of address, uh, I read Twitter, I read all the comments, uh, I know people are upset with me, I know people are frustrated. I know that uh, there are a lot of people who are questioning my integrity. Um, this has been a really hard deal for me. It's not It's not something I enjoy. It's not something I, I wanted to do. Uh, I hope that I could still be friends with everybody involved. Everybody here operates with some amount of limited information. I, I don't think I don't think anybody in any of these groups, knows everything, and I know far, far, far less than most of them. Um, I'm just going to keep saying I'm just trying to do the best I can with what I know, and I know right now people think that uh, I've been a bad guy to Chris Hansen. My guess is by the time this is all done, the guys at Oakview are probably going to be annoyed at, at me too because I'm going to ask them a lot of hard questions, and I, I, have, uh, I have done my best to, to ask the question, the same questions you guys are asking us now, I have done my best to push off to everybody and to, to at least ask them. I don't always get answered, but when I get in the room, I ask. Uh, so I hope, I hope our readers and I hope all my friends and the fans uh, will continue bear, bearing with me and give me the benefit of the doubt. And, it, and if we learn something new, um, uh, then I'll continue to reevaluate things. But but right now, I, I feel comfortable um, knowing what I know with where I'm at, and I, and I hope people just kind of uh, can take that at face value. All right. Well, I, I booked an hour and a half for this podcast, and I didn't think we would use it, but we are just about out of time. And so, uh, Brian Robinson and Robert Cardona, I want to thank you for hopping on and answering all these questions tonight. And, John, when you listen to this later on, I want to, want to thank you for hopping on with us as well. And this is a hard process for everyone. Um, it's, it's not been fun lately. It really hasn't. Um, but let's just hope something gets done. And with that, I'm going to bring this to a close. And everyone just have a great night. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks, you guys. Too. Bye. Bye. Bye.